Welcome to the ENA Podcast. As our director of digital strategy, Tommy, Tommy Barbie just said, this is the ENA Podcast. I'm Dan Campana, the senior manager for PR communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming, welcoming you back to the ENA Podcast. Uh, this is the second of our two podcasts for the month of March, and today we're, uh, we're going to talk about uh, an emergency situation in an emergency room with Tyler Babcock, the assistant nurse, one of the assistant nurse managers at UPMC Hammett in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thanks for having me, Dan. I'm excited to be here. Um, so just a little bit of background here. Um, what, uh, what you may have read, or if you're a listener, what you may have read about, uh, or maybe you've seen the photo of a giant hole out in front of a, an emergency department, but back in November at UPMC Hammett, uh, there was a, a gas line, a large gas line that was cut outside of the ED. And uh, Tyler, just uh, tell me a little bit about that night. I mean, was this a busy night, a slow night, and really kind of uh, walk me into when you started to realize something wasn't quite right, uh, you know, at the at your facility there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so our triage area actually is uh, kind of nice and a little unique that um, we're you know, our dedicated triage spaces, the nurses actually have oversight out over into the street where the main entrance to the emergency department is. Um, and the first clue was actually the triage nurse could see uh, that construction site and came running back and said, you know, oh my gosh, all the construction guys just came running out of the hole. Um, and she knew her, she's, she's quite the character. So everybody's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, okay, Carrie, like, you know, whatever you say. Um, and that's kind of when, you know, people started to really actually hear it before they could smell it. Um, and you could kind of hear all this high pressure spitting noise. Uh, and that's when they walked outside and kind of realized that um, there was definitely a natural gas leak somewhere. Um, so I guess that's kind of how it started. So uh, how, do you want me to kind of, yeah. So how many, how many patients did you have with you at the, at that time? And really when, when did it kick into high gear where it was time to, to, to start moving patients or to figure out what really the best plan would be to make sure that everybody was out of the danger area? Sure. So we had, um, we are a 36 bed department. Um, and at the time I think, um, started with about 33 patients. Um, so got lucky in the fact that, uh, you know, it wasn't super overcrowded kind of a night. Um, so we kind of started with that. Uh, the first call, you know, was um, to the utility company, really, um, who made the made the kind of the decision that, hey, you know, you need to evacuate your department um, just based on the kind of the things that they were being told at the time. Um, so that's kind of when the plan started to happen um, with that. So all in all... Um, I think from the time that we recognized that gas leak to the time that we started to evacuate was about seven or eight minutes. Okay. Um, go so ahead. I would say in that sense, really what, you know, when you start to realize and, and you're being told it's time to move, uh, is this about instincts? This is about training and planning that you've done previously. I mean, how, how do you communicate with the people that you're working with to start understanding how you need to, to operate next, even though you don't really understand everything that's going on outside, but you know that you have to start making some plans and doing some things inside. Um, sure, yeah. So our charge nurse really kind of started once with that um, decision to evacuate. We have a dedicated charge nurse 24 seven that really kind of, tr- kind of controls flow. Um, so once the decision to evacuate was started, she kind of started to, to move that process along and identify which areas of the department would move, um, where they would move to, and kind of when they would move. Okay. Um, so we started to divert kind of patients to um, kind of 
areas immediately outside of our department, but that would be further far enough away that it was outside of the outside of kind of a risk zone at first. Okay. Um, and she actually did a really good job and started to move people really by functional area. So we kind of moved waiting rooms to another waiting room in the um, actually the main lobby. Um, so our waiting room moved to the main lobby. And then we started to move some of our other places, our patients to areas like the PACU um, and the cath lab as well. Um, since it was about six o'clock at night, most of those areas that are, you know, really kind of busy during the day had started to die down and had the available space. Um, so we started to, to move those patients to there so that we could continue care. Okay. So in terms of sort of um, looking at the level of care that the patients that you had, was there a sort of a, a triage within the triage of, okay, well, these are the patients that are most, um, you know, at the highest level of care right now. So we need to take them somewhere first or, or how did that work? Um, yeah, so everybody that was um, already in a treatment space back here were the first patients to really move um, so that we could continue their care. Um, and, you know, as ER nurses, we're really good at triaging and sorting people. Um, so that was kind of the first thought was, let's move people based on their acuity. We know that the cath lab has all of the capabilities to monitor people if they need it. Um, so anybody that required any sort of a cardiac monitor was automatically headed to that area because we knew that they had the capabilities. Um, to do so. Um, the PACU was a little bit more of an open bedded area. So we started to take the patients who, you know, the ESI level threes who still um, needed some resources, may have needed a little bit of monitoring, but might not have needed the cardiac monitor per se. And they were transferred to that area because we knew that they had the resources that um, those patients would need as well. Okay. So that's the, the people that are already in care. You talked about moving waiting rooms. Uh, what's the mood in that waiting room? Are people who, you know, who have been waiting now, are they getting a little antsy or is there any sort of panic or any concern among them that, you know, they're starting to smell things. They can see that there's a different buzz of activity going on within the ED. Uh, how did, how was, how were those folks managed? Um, so they actually, like I said, we moved really all of our waiting room patients to the main lobby, um, which has, you know, enough space to accommodate all of them. And surprisingly, everybody was really um, optimistic and they kind of melded in with the team and were really helpful um, and kind of moving themselves and were very understanding of the situation. You know, we kept them up to date as much as we could as, as far as what was going on. Um, and I think that the mood was, was really kind of... Um, I guess I, I don't want to say optimistic, but um, everybody sounds comfortable, like, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Nobody, nobody ever panicked, which I think was nice too. Okay, so you mentioned uh, uh, before we started here, you've been there for about ten years. You've been an assistant uh, nurse manager for about four. Uh, have you encountered any sort of you know disruption to your day to day flow? You know, in an emergency type situation like this before? I mean. How, how were you prepared for what was going to come, you know, once you got the word you needed to start making some moves with patients? Um, you know, and I think that uh, that's a really great question. In the 10 years that I've been here, I don't know that I've ever interacted or dealt with a situation ever quite like that. Um, and quite frankly, in the next 20 years that I'm here, I think I'd be okay if I never had to do that again. <laughs> um, it, it really did go very well. Um, I think we do a really good job. Um, a kind of planning for that external disaster and planning for what we're going to do with the mass influx of patients and what we're going to do during MCIs. And I think as emergency nurses, we do very well at that. Um, but I don't think that we really spend a lot of time focusing on those internal kind of emergencies and what you're going to do with that. Um, funnily enough, I think one of the things that I, um, we really kind of thought about was almost that family plan when you have a fire and everybody's going to meet it at this location and um, that kind of an idea. And when you kind of use that kind of a mentality, 
and I think learn some lessons along that line too, where kind of pick up functional areas in your emergency department and move them to separate functional areas. We have three um, kind of nurses stations that that oversee a handful of beds. They kind of split themselves into natural sections and um, kind of picking up that entire area and moving it to another one um, was something that I think that we learned to make sure that we kept people kind of in line and organized. Okay. And, and it's funny that you kind of brought up what I think is sort of a good point about this planning ahead of time. So in this day and age, everybody's planned, as you said, for those external disasters and maybe some of the internal, um, you know, the old school fire drills and things like that yeah. maybe get sort of taken for granted or, you know, maybe don't get practiced quite as often, even though you're just one part of a larger facility. But, you know, um, talk about that. What kind of planning has happened just as a facility that you guys were able to lean back on and, and know, okay, well, this is not exactly like a fire drill, but here's what we need to do or what we can do. Because it doesn't sound like there was a lot of, of confusion. It doesn't sound like there was a lot of, as you mentioned, panic among staff or anybody is, uh, hey, let's just do what we need to do right now. And here's where we're going to go with people. So how did, be, you know, what kind of preparations do you think made a difference for you, even though you didn't have a specific gas leak emergency drill? Um, you know, I think uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. To kind of play along um, part of your point, I think part of the reason why it kind of went so smoothly is just, you know, we're kind of really used to thriving in that organized chaos kind of an environment um as most ers are they always have a point where they get chaotic um and the team just kind of comes together we're a very team oriented team which i think is applicable across really any year that you walk into everybody's always a team and i think that that's helpful um just understanding you know who your team members are being able to communicate well with them um and kind of clear communication is something that that was really helpful for us um and and kind of knowing where your resources were i think those are the things that were helpful. I think the things that we've learned after the fact, um, you know, obviously, you know, an after action review and kind of drilling down into the timeline to see everything that happened and learning from that. Um, one of the things that we identified that may be helpful is, you know, almost like an internal tabletop exercise and bringing bedside staff members into that um, to kind of walk through the, what we would do in different situations with bedside staff members who are going to be here during, you know, who knows what's going to happen next and making sure that they're familiar with that process. So from a debriefing standpoint, you touched on it a little bit, really, what were some of the biggest takeaways that you would want to share with other nurses, other ED nurses, other ED nurse managers to let them know, hey, you may be in a similar situation where you're not ever expecting something like this to happen, maybe ever in your career, but we went through it, we did it, and here's how we, what we learned from it. What were some of the key takeaways that you'd want to share with others? Um, I think one of the biggest things, you know, is like I had just said, uh, the bedside staff members and leaders that you may have on some of the off shifts. Um, so this, the start of this event was at six o'clock. Um, one of my fellow assistant nurse managers was here with another charge nurse as well. So they were both kind of able to make a lot of the decisions, but, um, bringing in the, like I said, the bedside staff nurses into some of those tabletop exercises and making sure that frontline staff members kind of understand the process and know what resources are available and understand kind of those disaster plans because they may be the ones that have to enact them. Um, planning for the internal disasters is another one. Like I said, you know, we're really good about the external disasters, but making sure that you kind of understand um, what you're going to do in those is helpful. And, um, and there's I, a piece of this too about the cross, uh, sort of the cross departmental planning for this too. Right. Um, you know, did you already have some sort of protocols that knew, you knew this is where we would go with these patients, this is where we would go with these patients, or was that really as on the fly as the rest of this? Sounds like it was, even though it was organized. 
Yeah. So it really kind of was on the fly. We had used those areas as overflow areas prior. So I think that was kind of what triggered the thought to say, hey, let's use these now because we've used them as overflow areas before um, and just experiencing that. But I think that that is helpful um, for other people that may be transferable as to kind of, you know, know what your resources are and know your areas that you can overflow into. Um, we also used, you know, a radiology bay to see some of our lower acuity walkie-talkie patients to kind of keep them moving through the process. Um, so understanding, you know, what other departments can offer for you in the event that you um, can't any longer use yours um, and kind of lining those resources up so that you know where you can pull from. So in total, how long was uh, was everybody displaced from the ED? About what time did you guys get the all clear where you could sort of bring everybody back and kind of get back to normal operations? Um, so, yeah. So like I said, we... Um, started to evacuate at about 6 p.m. Um, it was a little bit after 6 p.m. on that Tuesday um, and had everybody out in a short period of time. Um, and by 8.20, we had the all clear from both the utility company and the fire department that we could begin to bring people back into the department to resume operations. Um, and I think that also was kind of a feat too, to kind of make sure, because you're moving large amounts of people from one area to another, um, and kind of we actually lined everybody up in a single file line outside the, the back doors to the ER and almost had a, a concierge greeter person that was dropping them into beds as they came in to make sure that people um, were where they needed to be to continue getting the care that they were getting. So it's something that you've, as you mentioned, uh, you, you never thought you would experience, uh, you never had experienced previously. What is the, the thing that maybe surprised you the most about how, how all this went? Uh, it doesn't sound like you were scared or panicked or anything, but you also didn't see a lot of that from anyone else. I mean, that to me sounds surprising, but really what kind of, what's the lasting memory about how all this played out for you? Um, I think just how well ER teams really work together. Um, and how well people, you know, kind of step up and, and take take the lead when they need to, um, just to make sure that the patient's really at the center of everything that we're doing. Um, and I think that that was kind of the uh, over-resounding theme throughout the whole thing is, you know, what can we do to make sure that the patients still get what they need to get? Um, you know, I kind of walked in and just preparing for those things, I guess, um, was really what stood out and how well everybody just comes together and just knows what needs to be done, despite not really like formally planning about it. Sure. Well, it definitely sounds like it was not an ordinary Tuesday night, but it doesn't sound like it took very long to get things back to a normal state of affairs, despite something uh, that could have been a lot worse than it turned out to be. Right. Yeah. So Tyler Babcock from UPM, uh, UPMC Hammett in Erie, Pennsylvania. I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your experiences and sharing some of the, the insights that you picked up from uh, you know what was a very large gas main uh, break just outside your ED. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, the patients uh, were all taken care of. The, the people who were waiting were, were patient and calm. And it sounds like the staff worked really well together to make sure that uh, the movement of the patients, patients but also keeping uh, the, the, the consistency of the commitment to care at a high level. It, it sounds like all's well that ends well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Tyler, appreciate you taking some time today for the, uh, the second of our two March podcasts. Uh, we look forward to bringing some more education and a little bit of, well, we can't quite tell you yet for April, but we hope that you continue to listen and we will be back with you in April.